All right, thank you, Janie. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. You are here. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this message today. Not that I'm not excited about other messages, but this one, I, I, I just couldn't wait to give it. And um, you guys worshiped so well this morning, so well. So I've got something to work with. So I'm very excited about this. So this is, a, this is gonna be a great day. Uh, this is our, our third Sunday on the, on the Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, last week we looked at joy. The week before that was love. The way that we're seeing uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is that uh, there's love, which is the big fruit, and then the other eight fruit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control, they all are what define what love is, because love is, it is the most important thing, loving God well and loving each other well. And um, uh, faith, hope, and love, but Paul says the greatest is love. And so today is peace. And peace is, um, wow, it, peace is so powerful. It is so, it's so important to have it inside of us. Now, I gave you guys some homework last week. How many people did the homework? Did you do the homework? There's a few of us. All right. So we're going we're gonna to take a look. What was the homework, by the way? Reading Philippians. That's my, if you ever want to come to me for pastoral counseling, I'll just say, read, read Philippians. Just... <laughs> I'll pray for you. Read Philippians. Just stop whining. And just go. No, I am. I am not. I know. I am not the best pastoral counselor in the world. That's why we have. That's why we have licensed counselors at our church. And uh, yeah. All right. Let's read it. Uh, we're going to read Philippians chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness, that's a fruit, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, that's the other fruit, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or have seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. He goes on to say in uh, in verse 12, I have learned the secret to be content. He's saying, I have learned the secret of peace. And he, he this is... Or we're going to get into it. He explains the secret. Um, we refer to peace as a fruit. It is, it is one of these nine fruit of the Spirit, right? And they, they all kind of are, are, are the, of a piece of a puzzle. They all are interlinking. You have to have them all in order to have this, this balanced uh, life, the, the, the spiritual formation that we all long for. We have to have, we have, to have all nine. And the interesting thing about peace as the fruit of the Spirit 
is that it's also a gift. That's what's unique about it. There's a couple of things that are unique about peace. Not only is it a fruit, but it's a gift. Now, Paul doesn't list it at, in, the, in, the, in the gifts of the Spirit, but Paul does notice it that it, okay, peace is so important that it is actually a part of heaven. In Romans 8, he says, the kingdom of heaven is one of righteousness, which is God's will, one of righteous, righteousness, peace, and joy. So peace is one-third of heaven. And so the way that we like to see peace, when we talk about it around Granite Creek, is that it is, um, we visualize it on the building. I know that sounds new age, but it's okay, and we can, we can say it because God gives us visions so have you seen the bumper sticker that says visualize world peace? There's nothing wrong with that. Do it. Visualize world peace, but also push it a little bit because God's peace is here to invade your life. And so the practice that we have gotten ourselves into is when we pull into the campus of Granite Creek, we, visual, we literally visualize peace on top of the building or over the whole campus. It's almost as if it's a cloud that is resting. It is, it's, it's part of the atmosphere. The way that we frame it is that peace is the atmosphere of heaven. It is that thing that you breathe in that keeps you alive. And the reason why I say that it's a gift is because Jesus gave it. He was one of the last things that he did. He did a lot of miracles. He did a lot of healings. He was always ministering to his disciples, but one of the last things that he did before he left the planet is he gave his disciples peace. Now they were, okay, Jesus died and he rose from the dead. His disciples didn't know it and they were in an environment of complete fear and anxiety. They were experiencing the, the opposite of peace. They were in the upper room. They, they'd all have, they all Abandoned Jesus, right? Peter abandoned Jesus. All the disciples ran off. They were scared of little girls. They were, they were, they were just terrified. And they're thinking to myself, themselves, oh my gosh, that this thing that we invested in our lives in, our leader is dead and we're next. So this is what's going through their minds. They are in a, in a completely fearful environment. And to make matters worse, all of a sudden Jesus materializes in the room. So you thought that they were scared before, now, this guy that they had abandoned, their Savior, their Lord, is now in the room. So their fear level has just gotten higher. And so they're experiencing a tremendous amount of anxiety. They don't know what is going on in their life. Have you ever felt that? Where you just don't know what's going on? Now, imagine what they felt. Now, this is what Jesus says to them. John chapter 14. Jesus says, My peace... I leave you, my peace I give to you. And then he breathes on them. It's as if it is air. So he physically does something to them. He gives them a religious experience. And what does he say? He says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is very curious to me. Why does he do this? Did they not have the Holy Spirit before? Were they not saved before? Were they not good little Christians? Well, I believe that they were because Peter declared with his mouth that, that, yes, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the Messiah. You are the God-man. 
And Peter made that declaration. And all the other disciples, I believe they believed it too. But this is something different altogether. When he breathed on them, and he gave them this gift of peace. And it's almost like it's in the air, right? It is, it is atmospheric. It's something that they had to inhale into them. And that's what we got to get into our minds. We need to inhale the environment of heaven into our lungs. It sustains us. It, is, it gives us the ability to do the crazy things that you're going to see next week on the Holy Ghost movie. You have to breathe the oxygen of heaven. You have to breathe in peace. Now, in your outline, there are, there's three major enemies to peace. And we need to be aware of them because uh, when we've crossed the line of faith, when we say, okay, Jesus, I'm all in, you're immediately going to get three major stumbling blocks, these three major strongholds they're gonna, that are going to fight for your attention and fight to take away the peace in your life. And the first is the world. And we all know, okay, what is the world? The world is, uh, the, world is the system. The world is, it is, a, it is a, a pattern way of living. It is basically um, social evolution, it is, I, I, we, I'm in this system to get as many toys as I possibly can. I, I, am, I am fighting, I am scratching. It is dog-eat-dog dog world, and I'm out to get stuff. The world says all of your pleasure, all of your joy, your entire peace and your security rests on material things. And we all, we kind of get this, right? Doesn't your 401k, well, maybe not anymore, but doesn't your 401k make you feel peaceful and secure, that your retirement will make you feel secure, that your complete security is, is wrapped up into your finances. And this is what the world teaches us. It says, okay, your peace is going to be found in material objects. Now, of course, Christians, hopefully, don't believe that's true, right? But here's the thing. The ancient philosophers and all world religions know that the world is a problem. They know that the system is the problem. And um, they just don't quite understand it completely. But the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, Socrates, Plato, um, they all knew that, okay, the, the, the world is the problem, even though, yes, okay, stuff is fun or whatever, but the problem with the human condition is pain. And attachments to material things, attachments to situations, even attachments to people will eventually bring pain. So how do we, how do we solve this problem of pain? Now, Buddha had the same situation, and all world religions do the same thing. Okay, we have to separate ourselves from the world, right? All religions do this. All religions say, let's separate ourselves from the world. And the aesthetics, the, the Eastern religions before Buddha, their, their, their solution to the problem was like, okay, in order for me not to experience pain, I'm going to sever all attachments. And so you know what they would do? They'd go out in the woods and starve themselves to death. So they wouldn't hurt anything. They wouldn't, um, they wouldn't be around people where they would hurt people and in fact get hurt by people. You know, they, they'd eat you know, vegetables and then they think, well, the vegetable is a live thing, so I can't do that either. So they literally drove them mad. And Buddha kind of went to the next step. He says, okay, this is nuts. This is craziness. So let's try to figure out a system, a, a system of karma in order to get out of it. 
because attachment to things brings pain. And we all know this to be true. You figured it out when you were seven years old and your puppy died. Remember that? That thing that brought you pleasure and peace. Whenever it was taken from you, well, your world fell apart. The same is true for marriage and kids. You know, we've experienced people that have lost their marriages to divorce, and it's like you can't put these people back together because their complete identity was wrapped up into their spouse. And that's all that they had. I lost a cousin. She was 16, and uh, it was extremely difficult. I mean, she was just so much joy and light in, in our lives, and our family life, and, and she died in a car accident. And um, my aunt and uncle had the decision. They, they, is this the end of our life? Because it seemed like she was our, our whole life. Or do we move on? They, they chose to move on. They had their very foundation based in their relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying they, they don't grieve that. Actually, they grieve that death every day of their life. But they have learned Paul's secret of peace. They've learned it, and they were able to move on. So again, the world says, okay, you have to have, you have, to have attachments in order to be happy. Religion says, no, that's not right. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Christian faith that is completely different than all the other religions. The, all other religions, most all other religions will say material objects are evil, spirituality is good. The Christian faith says God made everything for your enjoyment. All, everything that is tangible can be enjoyed. And this is where we have to change the mindset on how we react to the world. Objects, I'm an antique dealer. I like objects. I like junk. I like knickknacks and, and stuff like that. You know, if I got out of hand, I'd be a collector. And you know what? Collectors are, they got problems. Collectors have major problems because if they don't have the full set, then they're not complete. Like their soul, there's something wrong with their soul if they can't get the last piece in the collection. Their world is upside down. Now, here's the amazing thing about our Christian faith. When I put Christ first above you, my friends, above church, above my daughter, above my wife, when I put, the, when I put Jesus above all of those things, material, people, circumstances, life gets better. I can actually enjoy my wife more when I am in communion with Christ. I can enjoy my kid more. I can be a better parent when Christ is first in my life. I can even enjoy my knickknacks more. <laughs> and I realize that they're not mine. They're God's. It's his material objects that he's allowed me to have for my pleasure. Same is true for your money. It doesn't belong to you. It's God's. He's letting you use it. And once we change that, that mindset, well, how does Paul describe it? He says it this way. Uh, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of the world is the love of money, the love of people, the love of power. That's the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test what God's will is. So that's the first major roadblock that we need to get over. The first major enemy that will take away your peace. It's stuff. And it's even people. 
They're out to rob you of your peace. The second one is flesh. Now, whenever we say, you know, whenever preachers talk about flesh on the radio or on TV or whenever, they usually talk about sexual sin, right? The sins of the flesh. That, that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, true. But it, it's actually much deeper than just, you know, sexual sin or, you know, acting out in the flesh. Because when you boil down the, the, the sins of the flesh, um, it is based on selfishness. Do you guys have a prayer life? Like, you know, it's good to pray corporately, but Jesus told us to pray in our closets, to pray by ourselves, just mano y mano, right? Just me and God. Do you have a prayer life where it's just you and God? If you do, I challenge you to say something to God. Say, God, am I selfish I'll tell you what he's going to say. He's going to say, yes. See, whenever we, we step across that line of faith, we have somebody, something that comes against us. It's the world. The world system tells us to live a certain way. But the, our other enemy to peace is ourselves. So we have to worry about, not worry, but we have to consider the world. We have to consider ourselves because sometimes we are our worst enemies. We have to combat the selfishness in our own hearts. You know, the, one of the major lies that the devil has put into our society is that people are good. That inherently people are good. That, that we, can, we can do morality without God. We can be, um, you know, we can just attach ourselves to, um, we can attach ourselves to, to social justice issues and we can attach ourselves to human secularism and, and we can be a good society without God. If Norway can do it, we can do it too. Norway is a, is a spiritually dead place. They might be nice to each other, but there's no life there. France is on its way. We have the, the, the trap of the flesh is to say, I don't need God. I am going to be my own God. And when we step across that line of faith, and when we realize, okay, I am, I'm warring against the world, oh my goodness, I am warring against myself. There's things that I still want. There's still some selfish areas of my life that I haven't completely surrendered to God. So you're going to be fighting your own self. And it's difficult to do. And wh why, why is this? Why is this the problem? Now, um, yeah, the part of the Ten Commandments is, okay, thou shalt not have any idols before me. Okay, the idols are everything that we set above God. And the idols actually falls into that category of the world. Hmm? So anything, that, anything in our world system that says, all right, um, this is more important to God. Money is more important to God. Sports are more important than God. Education is more important to God. So all these, these things can all become idols in our lives if we're not careful. But the flesh says, it's the lie of the devil, the number one lie, you can be God of your own life. You can be God. You can become your own deity if you'd like. And let's see what he says. Uh, Romans 8, 7. He says, the mind, okay, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. 
and it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So if your mind is, is stuck in the area of flesh, of selfishness, it, 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 it can't submit to God. This is a big issue, isn't it? It's a big issue. How do you, how do you solve this problem? All right. Now, the next enemy to peace is, uh, all right, you ready for this one? Okay, hang on. It's the devil. I, it's the devil. You know, when you cross the line of faith, when you say, okay, the things of this world are bringing me too much pain. I've experienced too much pain trying to play the world game, right? Trying to, to fall into the patterns of the world. I'm losing, so I don't want to do that anymore. And then once you surrender your soul and your individuality saying, yes, you know what? I have come to the realization that my heart is desperately wicked. If you boil me down, even though I might seem nice on the outside, deep down inside there's darkness. Oh, that's truth, folks. Deep down inside there's darkness. I surrender. Holy Spirit, I need you to come into my heart because what's in there is not good. And once you do that, once you have stepped across the line of faith where you have surrendered and you have, ready? You have made peace with God. Not everybody that comes to church has made peace with God. Like, well, before you were saved, before you surrendered, you were at war with God. That's what we just read. The, 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 the mind that's governed by the flesh is at war with God. And once we, once we say, okay, I, don't want, I want to sign the peace treaty with God. I want to surrender everything. Everything. All my worldly desires, all my fleshly desires. I don't want any idols, and I, and I don't want to be God. I'm going to completely surrender. And once we, once we have done that, once we have said, I don't want to be the enemy of God anymore. It's not a good idea to have God as your enemy. You're going to lose. It's not a good idea to run from God your entire lives. You, he will catch you. Look, if you, if you were a kid and you said, God, I want you to come into my heart, and then you're spending the rest of your life living like hell, God is hunting you down. He's out to catch you. He will go to the ends of the earth to get you. C.S. Lewis, Lewis calls God the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven. He's a bloodhound. He's going to track you down. You're going to lose eventually, so just give up now. Right? Once you do, once you, once you make peace with God and he's no longer your enemy, you're swapping one enemy for another enemy instantly, and that's, that's the devil. It's like Switzerland. It's, um, all right, let me explain. World War II, right? Switzerland says, I'm going to be neutral, even though this is my geographic area where this problem is happening. I don't, I don't want to do anything at all, right? I'm like, okay, Switzerland, just make your chocolate and cheese, and we'll, we'll just we'll leave you out of the war. Okay, but think hypothetically, what if Switzerland would have said during, during the midst of the Battle of the Bulge or whatever, whatever battle we were all you know, involved in, what if Switzerland would have said, I'm going to join the Nazi party? You know what? If they would have, if they would have done that, they would have immediately would have came our enemies. We would have boycotted their chocolate and cheese. We would have done some sanctions against some cocoa, right? 
I know, I'm just going to get myself in more trouble, aren't I? So when we decide to make peace with God, we are automatically making an enemy of the devil. And before you surrender to God, he, didn't, he doesn't care about you because he already has you. He just doesn't care. I don't know, maybe he'll scare you every once in a while. Maybe he'll, you know, he'll, he'll control you by fear. But for the most part, the enemy of God has no concern for people that are not following God. So I already got them. I got bigger fish to fry. Now, Lucifer, the guy in the red tights and the pointy horn with the pitchfork, uh, he's not too concerned about you. He's, there's only one devil. There's only one Lucifer. But uh, he's got other little guys. I don't know how many, but lots. And, um, and, and the devil is, he calls, the Bible calls Satan the prince of the air. The principality of the air. He has control over the airwaves. And uh, when you cross the line of faith, he might assign some, I'm sorry if I'm scaring you, but he might assign some little evil guys to bug you, to torment you. Um, He will, since he has control over the airwaves, spiritually speaking, he amplifies everything. That was his job before he fell. That was his job before he became a jerk is that he, he was the amplifier of creation to praise God. All of creation's praises went into Lucifer and out to God. He amp- that, was his, that was his purpose for creation, was to amplify praise. And so he, he got a little jealous, and so now, now he wants to amplify pain. Pain in your life. And so his trick is to say to you, you need these attachments in this world to be happy. You gotta have the iPhone 6. You gotta have it. If you don't have it, you're not happy. You gotta have, you gotta have all these things in order to be happy. And then what he'll say to you is, um, he'll, he'll go after your flesh. He'll go after your, your selfishness. He'll say things like, you know what, you don't, you know, this part of the Bible is good, but you don't need to pay attention to this part of the Bible. You can be God of your life over here, and uh, over here you can, you can obey the rules, but you can compartmentalize spirituality if you want. You can, you, can, you, know, you can organize your faith. You can make up your own religion. So the devil will tell you that. And then he does something else. Once you cross the line of faith, you're a citizen of heaven. Can you say that today? I'm a citizen of heaven. Let's repeat it. I'm a citizen of heaven. Once you've done that, the, the war is over. Hmm? He, he, can't, he can't steal you out of heaven and drag you to hell. It's impossible for him to do so. But the battle is still going on, and the battlefield is in your mind. And so maybe he can't take you out of heaven, but you know what he can do? He can take away your peace. He can breed anxiety into you. He can take these attachments that you have in the world and these insecurities that you have in your own flesh and he can amplify them, make them louder than they really are. He can make your problems seem bigger than they actually are. That's what what he's good at. And his whole purpose is to make you anxious, to make you sad, to make you depressed, to make you beat yourself up. And he, he'll say things in your mind, because again, the battlefield is in your mind. He will say things like, wow, Josh, 
I thought you were a good Christian. Hmm? Because good Christians don't think the way that you think. Wow, Josh, I thought that uh, you gave your, your heart to me when you were seven, but you're acting out in this way, and good Christians wouldn't do that. See, he is the liar, he's the accuser, and he'll take your insecurities and the, the self, uh, the doubt and, the, and the, the negative self-talk, and he amplifies it, and he makes it louder and louder and louder until, you're, until you believe his own lies. And you become... A, a Christian that can't do anything. And I think this is part of the problem with the Christian faith in America is it's full of anxious, bummed out, depressed Christians. And they've, they've, they've lost the joy of their salvation. They, they, they've, they've lost the idea that, that my, my source of strength, that joy is the source of my strength. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do anything. That, that's, that's, that wasn't Philippians 2. I can do anything, absolutely anything in Christ that gives me strength. That is an incredible promise that we lose track of when we begin to listen to the amplified air of the, of the devil. All right. Now, if peace is a gift that you receive, like all good gifts, you are a steward of it. So God has given you the gift, and he expects you to take care of it. So God, Jesus has breathed on you. Hopefully, in your point of anxiety, in your point of, of fear and failure, it, uh, you've, you've had a religious experience where Jesus breathed on you and you received the Holy Spirit and you have peace that transcends all understanding. And if you've gotten yourself to that point, you, um, you come to the realization that you, that, that you can do anything in Christ. You have to take care of it. You have to nurture it. The gift is your responsibility. And this is how you expand in peace. The first thing that we have to do in order to expand our peace, to be good stewards of the gift, is we have to rejoice. In Philippians 4.1, he says it. Uh, rejoice in the Lord, what? On Sundays. Rejoice in the Lord on Sundays. Again, I say rejoice on Sundays. Hmm. This is difficult. It says always. So we are always to rejoice. In any situation, we are to have joy. And I know what you're saying, Josh, how, that is impossible. You have no idea what I'm going through right now. How could I possibly be happy in this situation? And you know what? Again, it's hard for me to, to speak into your circumstances and your situations because it's your experience and not mine. But what I can say to you and what I have experienced is I have seen people in this church, friends and family, that have gone through horrific things, yet there was that peace that transcended all understanding, all logic. And in the midst of their tears, at the end they can laugh. There's a smile and they move on. I have seen people move on. I have seen people lose a loved one. I have seen people lose their house and their career, and they did not move on. That's a choice. Their complete identity was wrapped up into an individual or wrapped up into materialism, and when it was stripped from them, they had nothing left, and they, become, they became shells of people, empty inside. Ah, but Jesus is much more powerful than that. So, again, the ability to rejoice in all things. You gotta, if, you did, if you missed last week, you need to get it. 
Because joy is a gift as well. Joy is some, there's a supernatural element to joy. It's, it's something that's not manufactured. There's a counterfeit to joy, there's a fake joy, but then there is the supernatural joy of the Lord that gives you strength. So rejoice in the Lord always. Second is that you have to thank God. You have to be thankful always. With, when you present your, when you're in your prayer closet and you're asking for stuff, I don't know, what are you asking for right now? You know, the spouse, the money, uh, what are you asking for? So when you're in your prayer closet and you're asking God for stuff with prayers and petitions to the Lord, and then he gives it to you, then you thank him. Anybody catch that? It's not how it works. It says, with prayer and petition, with thankfulness, make your requests known before God. So this is completely counterintuitive to our very nature. We have to thank God for the things that, that, that we're asking for before we get them. See, the relationship with God is an unconditional relationship. He loves you unconditionally. So he wants us to move, he wants to move us into that type of relationship where love is expressed unconditionally. And as a result of that, thankfulness is an unconditional act. Being thankful for the things that God gives us before he gives it, and maybe thankful for the things that he does not give us. How many people in your prayer closet were praying for that special so-and-so? I did it in my 20s. Oh, Lord, she's the one. She, this is, I've done all the hard work, God, and you've brought this beautiful woman into my life. She's the one. So when do we get married, right? She is my soulmate. Oh, man. And... The, the prayer should be, God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to give me, whether it's her, that girl, or somebody else down the line. I thank you in advance of who you're going to bring into my life. And um, I, I, I'm so thankful that God didn't answer my prayer in my 20s. Because, well, let's be honest, those girls were crazy, <laughs> almost all of them. They were crazy. My life would be a wreck if God would have answered my prayers. And one of the best things that God can do is not answer your prayers. And we need to thank him in advance for it. Now, the way that the Bible describes entering into God's presence, you enter into the gates, you enter into the temple, to the holy of holies. And on the way in, uh, you enter in through, the, through thankfulness and praise. Enter his gates with thankfulness and into his courts with praise. So before you can have your religious experience, before you can have God intervene in your conversations, before you can have that relationship, you've got to thank him in advance. And again, I'm not going to thank you unless you give me some chocolate. Hmm? Why would I thank you for chocolate that you haven't given me yet? See, it's conditional, right? My thanks in the flesh is all conditional. God doesn't, the kingdom of heaven doesn't work that way. All right, the next thing that we've got to consider, this one's going to be a little bit tougher, is that we have to think. We have to think about these things in order to expand in peace. And see, what does he say? He says, uh, whatever is good, whatever is, okay, here we go. Uh, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think about these things. Okay, this makes sense, right? This is positive thought therapy, hmm? All right, so in order to overcome anxiety, anxiety is the opposite of peace, right? So anxiety, the, the true definition of, of anxiety, fear, anxiety is, is literally to be shattered into a million pieces. Have you ever been, have you ever felt this way? where you're just like shattered and you have a million different emotions going on at the same time and you're just all over the floor or maybe it's somebody that you know and love that, that come in and they just, they just shatter themselves all over your kitchen floor and you're trying to put them back together, right? Uh, so that's the definition of anxiety. It's the opposite of peace. And um, one of the tools, one of the worldly tools is, is okay, let's, let's, let's get Pollyanna here. Let's think about positive things. Let's think about good things. Actually, it's biblical. He's going over some very positive things. You need to think about what is lovely. You need to think about what is pure. You need to think about what is excellent. Here's the, the, in the NIV translation, uh, think is very weak. It doesn't, it doesn't translate very well because the think is more of a, of a meditate, to ruminate, to consume, to get it deep down inside you, to, to really study these things. It's not just think about it. It is to consume these things. Meditate is probably the closest word to it. So you need to meditate on these things. Now, of course, you know, meditating on good things is going to make you feel better. But Paul does something very different that you won't see in Barnes & Noble on a self-help book on how to, how to be happy. It says you think about truth. We can't figure out what truth is. The world cannot figure out what truth is. Harvard used to have Veritas on their seal, and they decided we can't figure out what Veritas is, is truth in Latin. And they said, we can't figure out what truth is, so we're taking it off our seal. Pilate, Jesus, you know, Pilate says, truth, what is truth? I don't know, I'm washing my hands of this thing. It's not my problem. We have given up on truth as a society. And what Paul is saying, he's saying in order to expand your peace, if you're shattered in anxiety all over the floor, I want you to meditate on truth. That would be like saying, so you had somebody that comes to your house and they're falling apart and they come into your room and say, oh, how am I going to feel better? How do I get peace in my life? It would be like me saying, figure out the meaning of life. <laughs> I want you to figure out the meaning of life and that will bring peace into you. You're not going to find that in psychology books. Hmm. Because the world can't figure out what truth is. We know what it is. It's Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Fulfillment comes from within me. That's what he says. So Paul says, you've got to think. You've got you to change the way that you're thinking. You need to adjust yourself to truth, to Jesus, and you need to begin to focus your mind on all of these things and visualize them in your mind if you have to. All right, and then the last one is that we have to practice. Verse nine says, whatever you have learned or you have received or you have heard from me or seen in me, you put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So if we're not practicing these things, if we're not practicing detachment, from attachments, so that, that sounded good, didn't it? Detachment from attachments, it's like I'm a, never mind. <laughs> if you're not practicing that, 
if you're not practicing some self-reflection, all right, am I, am I selfish? Hmm? What areas of my life am I being a jerk? What, what areas of my life am I being, you know, grabby? Where, what areas have I not surrendered to, to the Lord yet? What areas am I at war with God still? If you haven't put that into practice, if you haven't put in the, um, the discipline of spiritual warfare, how do I confront the devil in my life? How do I confront that evil voice that's amplified? You practically have to do it. And again, he can, the only thing that he can do is lie and accuse and make you feel bad about yourself and amplify your problems bigger than they are. That's all that he can do. He can't steal your soul. One of the greatest, well, one of the greatest verses in spiritual warfare, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, says, we demolish arguments in every, excuse me, I'll start at chapter 4. Chapter 10, verse 4. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world, right? Spiritual warfare. The weapons that we use are not real weapons, right? On the contrary, they have divine power. Okay, so what we're talking about on the, on the fruit and the gift, these are, these, are, these are weapons of spiritual warfare. They are divine gifts, and they have divine power. So divine joy has divine power to dis- dismantle and destroy strongholds in your life. Supernatural peace, divine peace, the atmosphere of heaven, when breathed in, will destroy strongholds in your life. It will, it will mute the loudness of the devil. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument. I have the NIV. Does your, your Bible might say that too. We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here we go. We take captive every thought. We make it obedient to Christ. So when you're thinking about things that are pure, lovely, good, true, you are, you're, you're training your mind. And whenever something comes into your mind, the battlefield is in your mind. Whenever something comes into your mind that is negative self-talk, you have the authority to demolish the stronghold. My, the, my Bible says every argument and pretense that sets itself up against God. Uh, the, again, this is a weak translation from the NIV, pneuma, pneumia, I think is what it is in the Greek. But it is, uh, if you have King James, it might say, we cast down all imaginations. Casting down imaginations to destroy strongholds. So the materialism is the stronghold. The negativity is the stronghold. The, the, the guilt and the fear about that thing that you did when you were 18, that's the stronghold. And the enemy of God is going to put imaginations in your mind. So you have to destroy the argument of the devil. But I like the way that the King James says it, but it's, it's, it's the imagination. You need to cast down the imagination because the imagination is the visible. And if peace, if we are to visualize peace in the atmosphere, the devil is going to be the counterfeit. And he's going to, he wants you to imagine these, imagine your failures. Imagine that you are no good. Imagine that you're never going to get out of this situation. 
and you have the authority to cast down all imaginations that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. All right. That's what we must practice. And again, these are the hardest things in the world to do. Um, the number one strategy of the enemy of God is to take your peace away from you and to make you anxious. If he can make you anxious, if he can scatter you all over the floor, you're useless. But if we have the mind of Christ, if we can say to ourselves, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, and I'm going to capture every thought and make it subject to God's will. I'm going to cast down all imaginations, any image in my mind that it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I say no in the name of Jesus. It's extreme power. This is the secret that Paul is talking about. This is a man who was a, before he was saved, he was an insecure, angry little guy. He had to make other people miserable in order for him to be happy. And his supernatural experience, a light beam from heaven knocked him off his horse. That was the gift, and he learned how to nurture joy and peace. We have the band to come on up to the front. You guys doing all right? I think I covered everything. It's amazing. <laughs> all right, as they're on their way up, um, and I have the ushers coming up to the front too, and I want to, um, we're gonna receive offering. Now, the offering is an expression of worship. And so, we you know, worship God. And if, this is, if there's pain in the offering, like if this is difficult for you to do, um, uh, the Bible says that you ought to give out of a joyful heart. So if you can't do that, pass the basket. But if you understand the joy of your salvation, give out of a joyful heart. That, that is, we can work with that. We can't, we can't work with money that's got anger on it. You know what I'm saying? We can't, we can't work with money that has cynicism bred into it. But if you can give with a joyful heart, the kingdom of God will be advanced in this church. Amen. And it will do amazing things. Um, and we're going to do something else. How many people, tell you what, close your eyes. Bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with anxiety, raise your hand. God bless you. 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 Jesus is going to breathe on you. He says, my peace I give you. Receive my peace. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, I know you're saved. But this Holy Spirit thing, it's a continual thing. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive empowerment. Let me put you back together because you can't put yourself back together on your own will. So you let me put you back together. Receive the Holy Spirit. Father, right now, I just pray that you would do a mighty work in this church. That as a congregation, we can cast down all imaginations and images and lies that that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, 
that we can say that Jesus is truth. That we can focus all of our attention on things that are true, pure, good, righteous, lovely, beautiful. I think we can make peace with you. I pray that you bless this offering in your name. And get it further advance your kingdom. Amen.